official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at wellchurchvt.com. It's also, I think, a story about deeply flawed human beings encountering the generous grace of God. It has been said that church is a hospital for sinners and not a museum or a country club for saints. And I think that's true. As I stand here and I look at you all, I see differences amongst us. Some of them are obvious and superficial, but I think there are some things that we have in common. For starters, that we are all made in the image of God, something that Adam just called attention to. We're all beautiful because we bear God's image, but we're all so uh, deeply flawed. We all fall short of God's glory. We are beautiful, but broken people. We are not perfect people, but we're looking for a perfect Savior. But how does He enter into our lives? And what happens when He does? I think that's a story uh, that we're going to see today. The, the story that we're going to look at, the conversation that we're going to eavesdrop in onto, is going to, I think, bear some of that out. Yeah, this winter, this spring, our church is looking at various conversations that Jesus had with men and women throughout the New Testament. And as we lean into these conversations, as we eavesdrop, as it were, we learn some things about Jesus, and we learn some things about ourselves as well. But this isn't just a conversation that we're privy to. I believe sincerely that this is also a conversation that we're drawn into, that Jesus doesn't want to just address a man named Zacchaeus today, but he also wants to address you and me as well. Uh, on this Sunday in February. So let's come to him and let's come to this conversation together as we turn to the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 19, and we're going to read verses 1 to 10. So read along with me. It begins this way, He, that's Jesus, entered Jericho, and he was passing through. And behold, look, there's a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see Jesus, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and he came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Hallelujah is right. This is God's word. It's not my own. And so I'm going to pray that he would help us to understand it. Father in heaven, thanks for gathering us to this place. Thank you for uh, speaking your word, for not standing off in a distance and for not being silent, but for speaking, for drawing us into conversation, for pursuing guys like Zacchaeus, for pursuing men and women here in this room. I pray, Lord, that you would speak. Speak loud enough for us to hear. Give us eyes to see ears that are open, ears that are willing to hear, and hearts that are soft and ready to receive and believe all that you want to impress upon us today. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
The first thing I would like you to do from this passage is actually the very first thing this text tells us to do, and that is to look. Verse 2, behold, right? Behold this man. Behold Zacchaeus. Look at him. What do we learn as we look at this guy? Well, we see in verse 2 that Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector and he's rich. Zacchaeus made his living collecting money from the Jews to give to Caesar, the Roman, the, the Roman occupiers. Zacchaeus is in league with the enemy. I invite you to use your imaginations for a minute here with me. I want you to imagine that it's May 1940. And I want you to imagine that you live in a quiet uh, country town just outside of Paris, France. It's springtime, it's nice out, it's warm on our skin, there's birds in the air, but all of a sudden the sky darkens. And you look up and it's not a cloud, but it's, it's a, a bunch of airplanes. And you squint and you see on the belly of the wings a swastika, and then you see a bay door open and you see bombs drop out of the sky and they start hitting your town and they're taking out city blocks and they're taking out homes. And now the earth continues to shake, not just from the bombs, but because panzers are rolling into your town and stormtroopers are taking over your city. And I want you to imagine that some of your family and your friends are killed in the fighting and in the continued resistance. And now I want you to imagine your next door neighbor, the boy that you grew up with, knocking on your door. But he's not asking to use your bathroom and he's not asking for a little cup of sugar He's demanding your money because your next door neighbor, the one that you grew up with as a boy, he's wearing a Nazi, uh, he's wearing a, like a Nazi uniform and he's saying, give me money because we got to pay for the Nazi tanks and we got to pay for those airplanes dropping bombs and we got to pay the, for the salary for these stormtroopers. We need to pay for the Nazi occupation. If you can imagine what that would feel like, you get a sense of what it would be like to be a Jew and looking at a guy like Zacchaeus, right? This is the kind of person Zacchaeus was. He's a tax collector. And he's not just a tax collector getting money for the Roman occupiers. He's the chief tax collector. He's not a middle manager. He's the head honcho. He's the mob boss. He is good at being bad. And it's making him rich. It's not just that he's taking money to pay for the Romans. He's taking a little extra to enrich himself. And for this reason, he is doubly despised by his fellow countrymen and his neighbors. Which is why when Jesus says in verse 5 that he's got to stay at Zacchaeus' house, he's got to be a, a guest in his home, this is why everybody's complaining and they're grumbling. They're like, what? Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus. That guy is the worst, Right? He's the worst. He's a sinner. But there's another detail that we learn about Zacchaeus, and this comes to us in verse 3. Not only is Zacchaeus a tax collector, and not only is he rich, not only is he the worst, Zacchaeus is also short. (laughs) He's a small dude. It says, And he, Zacchaeus, was seeking to see who Jesus was, But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. Now, I'm not an anthropologist. 
So I can't say this for certain, but I suspect that being small has always had some disadvantages. Always. Smaller kids or shorter kids are easier targets for bullies. They always have been. They're easier to pick on. They're easier to push around. And what starts off small, what starts off young, it carries on into middle school and then high school and into adulthood. The shorter you are, the less likely you are to be picked for the sports team. The less likely you are to be voted class president. The less money you'll actually be paid further down the line. And Zacchaeus was short. And based on that little bit of evidence, I think it's safe to say that he was probably picked on. And he was probably picked last. And he was probably pushed over. And here is why I think this is significant. Kids who are bullied often become bullies themselves. The abused often become abusers. And maybe that's true of Zacchaeus. I mean, it was true of another short dude named Napoleon, Napoleon Bonaparte. Right, to compensate for his shortness and size, Napoleon doubled down on meanness and aggression and violence. Right, he became a bully. And maybe that's true of Zacchaeus too. Maybe that's why he's a tax collector, banging on people's doors and saying, give me your money. Making them pay. Making them pay, pay it back. Right? There's one more detail about Zacchaeus right, as we look at him. There's another detail that we learn about him. We get this at the very end of the passage. But Zacchaeus was, in Jesus' words, lost. He was lost. Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost. Guys like Zacchaeus. He came to seek and save lost people like Zacchaeus. But friends, he also came to seek and save lost people like you and me, too. Jesus came as a good shepherd to go after sheep who have gone astray and have gotten lost altogether. He's come to save folks who have tried to live life on their own, who have thrown away God's GPS system and have drawn maps for themselves in crown and sharpie, maps that lead us nowhere. These are the kinds of people that Jesus has come for. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And here he comes. He's passing through Jericho. But you all, here he comes. He's passing through Burlington. What are you going to do? In verse 4, Zacchaeus takes off running. He's running not because he wants to get away from Jesus. He's running because he wants to see Jesus, but he can't. He can't because the crowd is standing in the way. He can't hop over them. He can't push through them. And so he runs down the road and he climbs up a sycamore tree. These details of Zacchaeus running down the road and then climbing up a tree, are full of significance. They show us the great lengths that Zacchaeus is willing to go to to see Jesus. 
And these same details show us the great price that Zacchaeus is willing to pay in order to see Jesus. Because even in our casual culture, you will not see a grown man in business attire running and climbing a tree. You won't. Maybe my father-in-law. I love you, Papa Jack. He's the only grown man who might do that. But that's because he's got a childlike heart. Most of us won't, right? Most, even in our casual culture, most people will not run in their business attire and climb up a tree. This is something that little kids do. Zacchaeus does it, but it costs him. It costs him his dignity, and it costs him his pride. Running and climbing up trees, like I said, this is what little kids do. And being called a little boy is probably something that Zacchaeus heard a lot. Little boy, little kiddo. This is probably something Zacchaeus resented. It's probably something that he avoided at all costs to be seen that way. But he does it. He does it now. And he does it so that he can see Jesus. In order to see Jesus, this man, this lost tax collector, opens himself to all sorts of ridicule. And he opens himself up to more bullying. Now, honestly, I don't know what Zacchaeus was thinking when he took off running and climbed that sycamore tree. I mean, I certainly have my guesses. I can't say for certain. But here's what we do know. Here's what we can be certain of. Here's what we can be sure of. Zacchaeus was willing to go out on a limb for Jesus. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Zacchaeus was willing to go out on a limb for Jesus. He, He was willing to swallow some pride. He was willing to be seen seeing Jesus. Even if that meant that he would look weak or stupid or childlike. And I think there's a lesson for us here, all of us. In order for us to see Jesus, and I mean to really see Jesus, to really grasp who he is, you've got to be willing to suffer some ridicule. You've got to be willing to go out on a limb for Jesus. To risk looking silly and stupid and weak and childlike. Y'all, ever since I was a little kid, I wanted to get good grades in school. I wanted to get good grades because I wanted to impress my parents. And then I wanted to get good grades because I wanted to impress my peers. And I worked really, really hard at this. I got straight A's in high school. I went to college. I got straight A's there. Dean's list every semester. National Key Honor Society summa cum laude, etc. But remember how I preface this. Because it's not something I'm really proud of. I wanted to get good grades because I wanted to impress my parents and because I wanted to impress my peers. I didn't want to be smart necessarily. I just wanted to be seen that way. I wanted to be seen as smart. And this desire, not to be smart per se, but to be seen that way, it prevented me from becoming a Christian for quite some time. 
Because the circles that I was running in in college is probably very similar to the circles that you are running in. Circles in which Christianity is really looked down on. It's seen as stupid. It's a poor man's religion. It's for weak-minded people. It's for idiots. It's for bigots. And look, I didn't want to be seen that way, right? I didn't. Who does? And because I didn't want to be seen that way as poor, weak, stupid, idiotic, bigoted, lost, I wasn't willing to go out on a limb to see Jesus. I just wasn't. All of that changed for me after college. I left some of those circles that I had been trafficking in. I traveled to some far off places. I got lost. Uh, But I also got found. Overseas, I began to see some of the bankruptcy of some of the beliefs that I had held onto in college. I started to see that the world's problems were not just out there for me to fix, but they were problems that were also in here, inside of me. I started to see my sin, even though I didn't have a word for that yet. And I began to see some pretty remarkable Christians in Africa who were moving to some pretty awful places to love people who were not their own. And I saw all of this, and it made me curious to know a little bit more about who Jesus would, who he was, who he is. In that sense, I was kind of like Zacchaeus. I had heard some rumors, I had seen some of the reports, but I had yet to actually see Jesus. Not with my own eyes. And in order to do that, I had to climb a tree. I had to go out on a limb. Which for me meant going to church. And I had to get a Bible. I had to start reading it. I had to meet Christians in coffee shops and ask them questions about Genesis 1 and 2 and 3. I had to be seen seeing Jesus. And sure enough, when I did that, I was seen as stupid at the time. At least by some. I had friends and some family members who thought I was stupid for checking out Jesus. And some of them probably still think this way. I was called names. I was told that I was a fool. I was told that I was committing intellectual suicide and I was flushing my degree down the toilet and that I was throwing my life away. But here's the thing, friends. If you want to see Jesus, if you really want to grasp who he is, you've got to go out on a limb for him. Zacchaeus did. You've got to be willing be seen by society as silly or stupid or weak if you really want to understand this man who's actually God in the flesh. you got to be willing to suffer a little or a lot of ridicule so that you can see Jesus with your own two eyes. And this is very hard for us to do. It's hard to go out on a limb. It's hard to look childlike. We don't want to be seen these ways. We carefully craft our resumes and our Instagram feeds so as to project beauty and perfection and strength, not weakness or silliness or failure. But Jesus says that in order to see him and in order to enter into his kingdom, 
in order to get what he has got, you must be willing to be seen that way. You must be willing to come that way. The door to the kingdom is a narrow one. So you've got to stop puffing yourself up, which makes you big and inflated. And you've got to swallow some pride to get through that narrow door. Stop puffing yourself up because the door is yay high. It's a narrow one. It's a short one. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child can't enter it. It's this high. You don't need to step on your tippy toes. You don't need to reach higher. On the contrary, you need to humble yourselves. You need to lower yourselves in order to enter in. We need to come in our finitude and our humility. We need to come in our weakness and not some pseudo-strength. We need to come in our desperation, needy, lost, and childlike, which is to say as we really are and not as we pretend to be. We've got to go out on a limb for Jesus. This past year, I suffered a lot of loss and heartache. There's deaths that rocked my family. There were losses experienced here in my Burlington community. And all of it together felt like one gigantic mess. Towards the end of the year, I spilled coffee all over my laptop. And I tried really hard to dab it up with, with my shirt, which was the closest thing that I had to a towel and just sort of trying to dab it up. I thought I was in the clear. I thought I had escaped catastrophe. But an hour later, the left-hand side of the keyboard stopped working. And then 15 minutes after that, the letter E stopped working. And then two minutes after that, the whole thing just shut down. You know, despite my best efforts to project perfection and everything's okay. The truth is is some of that mess got internalized in my own life and also in the computer, right? But some of it got internalized. And for me, it wasn't just my computer that stopped working. It wasn't just the computer letter E that stopped working. I felt too, just after this mess that was spilled over my life and internalizing some of those things that I just wasn't working right as well. And as a campus pastor, what that meant was that there was just some things that I couldn't do. There were one-on-ones that I just wasn't able to make. Uh, I had to call in pastors to help fill in for me on Wednesday nights, something I hadn't done before. I felt really weak this year. And um, I've always said campus ministry is a five-ball job, and I'm a four-ball juggler. (laughs) If you do the math, that's kind of a problem, right? I've always been comfortable maybe letting one ball drop, but this year... I felt like I was holding on to one ball and I was looking at four on the floor. And and this thought woke me up one night. My wife, Megan, remembers it, I'm sure. Because it was about two o'clock in the morning and I told her, I'm holding on to one ball and there's four on the floor and I could not go back to sleep. It was the, the, the closest, realest sort of thing that I have to like some serious sort of spiritual attack And I could not get to sleep. It was uh, as if the devil was marshalling a parade of my failures before my eyes. And he's in the front, you know, with baton and just showing me all of my failures this year and the years uh, leading up to it. And I'll tell you in the past what I would used to do. I used to argue (laughs) with that. 
And I would say something maybe to the devil. It's not that bad. (laughs) Or you're completely wrong. I'm awesome. Or we had a fantastic fall retreat, (laughs) right? Just crazy excuses, but just to like, I wouldn't, I would argue with it. But I had a breakthrough right after this moment, uh, just a couple months ago. It was, the, it was the morning after this, this horrible parade. I just stopped arguing. And I just kind of let the devil say what he wanted. You're a failure. You've dropped all these balls. And just, I was just like, you're right. I agree. I'm not going to argue that uh, with you. I, I have dropped a lot of balls. But what's your point, devil? What's your point? Because Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Jesus came to save people who are weak and wounded. Jesus came to save people who are not perfectly put together, but people who fail. So do your worst, because it's just driving me to Jesus now. So what? I'm going to go see Jesus now. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the son of man who came to seek and save the lost. People who drop balls. Guys like Zacchaeus, guys like me. I'm going to venture a guess. Men and women like you. Elsewhere, Jesus says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick. I've come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And you know what this means? Your sin is not a barrier to receiving Jesus. It's not. But your pretense is. Your perfection is. Because it's not a real perfection. Your hiding behind perfection stands between you and Jesus. So long as you think you're perfect or you try to be perfect, you're not going to go out on a limb for Jesus. You got too much to lose. You got too much to risk to do that. And if you're not willing to go out on a limb, you're not going to see him. Not for who he really is. And if you don't really see him for who he is, it's going to be hard to receive what he's got. But he But hear me, if you go out on a limb for Jesus, if you're willing to take this risk, here's what I think you're going to find. You're going to find that the seeker is sought. It's not just us going out on a limb for Jesus. Jesus also goes out on a limb for you and for me. Quite literally, he goes out on a limb. He's he's hung on a tree. He hangs on a cross. He goes out on a limb for you and for me where he dies so that we can be reconciled to our Father, where we who are outside can be brought back in, when we, so that we who are estranged can be friends of God again. On the cross, Jesus is mocked, and he's ridiculed, and he's spat upon. He's made fun of too, you know. But even before the cross, he faced ridicule, and he faces it here in, in this passage that we're looking at today. He faces ridicule when he invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house. Because, remember, Zacchaeus is the worst. He's the worst. And Jesus is a friend of the worst. He wants to be. He's a friend of sinners, people say. And that wasn't a compliment. Right? Jesus is a friend of sinners and tax collectors. He keeps bad company. He's a bad dude. Jesus goes out on a limb for us, and it cost him his reputation and his pride, and it ultimately cost him his life. 
what does this do to Zacchaeus? And what might it do for you and me this morning when you realize that Jesus wants to eat with the worst? Jesus wants to eat with you. Jesus wants to eat with the lost. He wants to eat with you. Well, this text shows us. It changes his life. It changes Zacchaeus' life. You see, in Jesus' day and age, to enter into somebody's house and then to share a meal with them was a way of communicating, you and I are all right. To break bread with somebody, to offer them wine like we, we do once a month at the Lord's Supper, like to share a meal, it's a way of, it's a reconciling act. We're not, friend, we're not enemies anymore, we're friends. We're okay, you and me. And this is what Jesus is communicating to Zacchaeus when he says, I got to go over to your house today. We got to eat together. And this is why people are so upset with Jesus. Because what he's communicating is that Jesus is okay with Zacchaeus. He's okay with the worst. But come on, Zacchaeus is a sinner. He's a failure. And Jesus is like, that's right. The son of man came to seek and save the lost. The son of man came to seek and save failures. Jesus came a friend of sinners, a friend of failures, and he came to reconcile us to God, to make us outsiders, insiders once more. Now, it's critical that you see this. Jesus does not tell Zacchaeus, quit your job and get your act together, and then I want to come over to your house. (laughs) That's not what he says. He doesn't tell him and he doesn't tell us to clean up our act, and then he'll come and stay. He says, I want to come over right now. I want to come over this very minute. We can eat whatever leftovers you have in your fridge. Don't get fancy on me. No need to tidy up. Just let me come in. Just let me come over. I must stay with you today. I must stay with you today. Not like... The father's twisting my arm and I got to do this thing. I must, as in, I can't wait any longer. I must. This is my top priority. I got to be with you. It's my desire. I love you. I must be with you today. Zacchaeus says, okay. And they go to his house and Jesus goes into Zacchaeus' home. He enters into his life, and it's then, and it's only then, that change occurs. That transformation happens. See, we see Zacchaeus different at the end of the story. And that's significant. Change happens on the back end of this encounter with Jesus, and not on the front end. Change and transformation happens after getting a taste of the goodness and the grace of God. We see Zacchaeus at the end of the story saying, Behold, Lord, behold, Master, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, and he has, he says, I will restore it fourfold. And it's critical that you see this. Zacchaeus doesn't change his life in order to get Jesus to enter in. Zacchaeus is the worst, and he's the worst when Jesus finds him, and he's the worst when Jesus enters into his house. But when Jesus enters into this man's house, this man's life, change occurs. Change happens on the back end and not on the front. 
Put another way, change is not the precondition for Jesus entering in. It's a consequence of Jesus entering in. You with me? A lot of you reverse the order. A lot of you are trying to clean up your life for Jesus. And this is the way of moralistic religion. You see, I got to do X, Y, or Z before I can get Jesus into my life. Right? I got to stop drinking or I got to, you know, stop having sex with so-and-so or whatever. And look, those, yeah, good. But (laughs) see what you're doing? When you say, I got to do this in order to get Jesus to enter into my life, here's what you're doing. You're saying, I'm not willing to go out on a limb. I'm not willing to be seen as weak or needy. I'm not willing to be seen as a child. I'm going to pick myself up by my bootstraps, and then Jesus can have a man-to-man conversation with me. You're not willing to be seen as a child. You want to be seen as a grown-up. You want to be somebody, you want to be seen as somebody who can get their act together, but you can't, and you won't. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. Religion says, get your stuff together, and then invite Jesus in. But the gospel of Jesus, the good news about Jesus, is something altogether different. The gospel says, let God in. Go out on a limb. And let God in. You're going to see God. And God is going to see you. And he's going to see you as a child. As a failure. Someone holding on to a tree. Desperate to be seen. Desperate to be noticed. Desperate to be rescued. And he's going to take you in. And he's going to clean you up. And he's going to feast with you. And he's going to call you son and daughter again. Change does not happen before Jesus enters in. Change is not the precondition of grace. It is the consequence of it. So two questions for us to consider as we get ready to leave this room today. Would you be willing to be seen by the culture as stupid or as a failure if it means getting Jesus? Will you let him in? And secondly, will you quit trying to clean up the messes of your, on your own? Will you, try to, will you quit trying to clean up your messes on your own and would you instead let him in and to help you with that? Because the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And he's not just saying to Zacchaeus, he's saying it to you this very minute. Hurry up and come down. I must stay with you today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you that we do not have to come to you perfect. But you give us a perfect Savior. We can come to you in our weakness and our finitude and our failure. Because that's, you, you came to save people just like that. And to reconcile us to you. And to take us home. We don't have to be orphans anymore. We can be sons and daughters. And so I pray that we would let go of pretense. I pray that in our ways we would go out on a limb, that we might see you and we might get what you got. 
And I pray, Lord, you would change us from the inside out, not the outside in. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community reintroducing Jesus in Vermont through worship, service, creativity, and community.